The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Arturia, Avid, Source Elements, and RSBE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Sheer and Gareth Nuttall and William Whitman. We're going to be talking about fixing it in the mix. Can it be done successfully? Um, Sheer, why don't you start us off? Yeah, sure. So, Gareth and, and William, can we sort of, you know, to begin with, briefly compare and, and contrast when your careers in recording studios started. Um, let's go with you, William. Yeah, well, if you're talking about when and where in time, um, I first walked into a recording studio as a band member in probably the middle of the 1960s. And I've been one way or another behind the glass, either as an engineer or a producer since at least the early 70s. So a good long while oh, wow. ago, yeah. when, when things were considerably simpler which has both its good and its bad points, but certainly to some degree informs my view, I think, of mixing and what mixing could or should be. Okay, interesting. And so maybe we could get to that a bit later, but briefly, how how are you sort of uh, informed of how is mixing for you? You know, just to summarise. It's hellish. No. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I suppose my view tends to be that I, I like to say I give the same advice to people asking about when a record is ready for mastering. It's the same thing for me when a record is ready for mixing. And the answer, the short answer is when you think it sounds perfect. It's, you should think that your mix is brilliant before you send it to a mixer to see, well, what could, what could be better that I'm unaware of? And the same thing with mastering. I think it, if you don't feel finished, you're not really ready to mix. You should, you should feel like here are all the ingredients for the cake, not asking questions as just, does this cake still need an extra mm. ingredient? But that would take a sort of level of uh, experience to know that you have all the ingredients. Um, because if you don't have sort of mixing experience, sometimes you can, you know, make the wrong choice of sound and not realise until, you know, you've sent it off to to a mix engineer. And so, um, anyway, we'll, we'll go to Gareth. Uh, could you sort of briefly explain, you know, how your yeah. career started? Uh, well... Pretty similar, to be honest. Um, I started in bands from a very, very young age. I mean, I was playing in in pubs and clubs from the age of like 12, 13. Um, so we, when I was about 16, my band won uh, a battle of the bands where we, we, we got some recording time. And that's the first time I ever got in a recording studio. And I just as soon as I was in there, I was like, I want to be on this side. I like this. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is what I want to do. So I went to uni to do sound engineering. Uh, and then when I finished the, the, the uni course, um, I applied for as many studios as I could, offering to work as T-boy, cleaner, whatever I could. No one would take me. Um, so, I, so I built my own, um, built my own recording studio and I've, I've kind of been here since. Uh, that was, so I've been in my place now for about 12 years. I love that. that, that that's kind of similar to my story I um I did work as a producer at a a studio in London for a bit but um I didn't go down the sort of you know assistant engineer route and I think it's much easier these days um to do that I imagine William went back in your sort of when you first started out it was almost impossible to to do it that way the the interesting thing or, or dare I say the 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 thing is um I never really went through the typical sort of work your way from from T-boy to tape op to first engineer uh, because in a certain sense, I pre- 
predated a lot of that system, except for the very biggest places. I mean, you weren't going to get into EMI any other way than through the ladder. But there were a lot of places that weren't so structured, and it was at a time before people really wanted to be recording engineers or producers hmm. in great numbers. And so I was able to just sort of worm my way into it, much like our story. I was the guy in the band who went, ooh, that looks really interesting. How are you doing that? Hmm. And, I, and just by making myself available and asking questions, I found myself um, being the one who who was allowed to sort of say, well, you can come in on the weekend and record your own band. And other people liked it. And pretty soon I was getting hired to do it. Nice. So it's quite organic. It does make me think of um, uh, what you just said, William, about predating. It sounds funny from this distance, but something that was a real eye-opener for me when I read the Great British Recording Studios book, the um, uh, Howard Massey book, which is is brilliant. But if, it, if I took my biggest takeaway from it is that um, it's easy from this sort of like post studio uh perspective if you if you know what i mean you know we're kind of like we've moved beyond that kind of centralized model and everything's kind of uh kind of decentralized uh, to a, a, a very large extent but just how transitory that period was it's easy for somebody today to imagine that, that that there was some permanence around that system of studios, that it was like that's how things always were. And they weren't. It was a really short period where things were like that. And I suppose. It, I it, mean, you'd, but that short period's, what, 60 years or so? I mean, it's Well, not, I mean, I'm just thinking about the independence yeah. of which kind ah, of... Ah, that's a short, yes. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying studios existing at all, but yeah. this uh, this idea that there were lo kind of lots and lots of vibrant, you know, rock and right. roll studios for want of a yeah. better better reason. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a pretty short window. You're right. Mm, mm. Interesting. Anyway, I've I've interrupted already. Please, <laughs> please, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Ever wondered what it's like to mix an entire album for Kanye or layering vocals for Chris Brown? Join your hosts Cash and G every fortnight as we sit down with some of your favorite artists, producers, and engineers to talk everything music. Brought to you by. Avid Pro Tools. That sounds great. Um, yeah, so we've got two mixers who started their careers sort of decades apart. Um, so this is a great opportunity to talk about the uh, sort of expectations of clients around, um, you know, fixing the mix and what, what can and can't be fixed, in your opinion, yeah. and, and maybe how that's sort of changed over the years. Um, shall we go with Gareth? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, my career has not been going that long yet, um, so... Over the last sort of ten years, I've mm -hmm. kind of been in the 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 era of people being able to get a little Focusrite interface and record everything themselves in their bedroom. Um, mm -hmm. So I've got clients who are sending me stuff that's been done like that, and vice versa, where they've been to a a, a, a really good recording studio and record everything the, the traditional way. So I kind of get uh, both ends of the spectrum now. Um, I wish it was more of the uh the big studio one yeah. but i do yeah. get a lot of here we've done this what can you what can you make of this uh which the answer to that is not a lot but i'll give it a go <laughs> yeah and have you got any examples of things that you know other than vocals badly recorded vocals do because with me um i've had things like timing um, yeah. vocal tuning bass i've even had to change out drum sounds before which i don't necessarily think is is the role of a, a mix engineer specifically um but i'll do it anyway um oh, has that happened to you oh all the time absolutely oh. all the time um i mean i've had some sessions where 
I've quoted for a mix um, and then <laughs> I've had to go back and say, this is not just a mix. Um, if you want me to have a look at this, then you, I'm probably going to have to spend a couple of days fixing it first and then mm-hmm. I can get onto the mix part. Um, cause I, don't, I don't know about you, uh, you lot, but if I spend a day editing and fixing, I am in no mood to mix at the end of that. Uh, I like to get it all done and then come Mm -hmm. back to it fresh and ready and dive into the mix if I have to do any vocal tuning or drum editing my kind of mojo's gone for the day it takes you out of the mind frame doesn't it yeah 100% absolutely Um, so so what about you William Um, I think you know I'm maybe I'm lucky or just the state of where I am in the business but Mm -hmm. I mean I don't get a lot of the I've done it in my bedroom and I need you to put it all together work um on the other hand, that doesn't mean that I don't get things that I think could be recorded a lot better or at least differently. Mm. Um, but in terms of actually fixing things in the mix, I think a lot of that for me has to do with just the availability of tools that we didn't used to have. Okay. So people people tend to start to become reliant on those tools and they sort of expect a mixer or somebody to say, well, you know, I could tune that vocal or I could augment that snare drum or I could mm-hmm. fix the timing on that guitar. Things that, we, you know, you weren't going to be able to do that on a 24-track, two-inch yeah. tape. Um, I think the line has been blurred, whether we like it or not, between whether that's the function of a mixer or not. I think a lot of people expect it to be the function of a mixer. Again, I think for me, ideally, I think all those issues should be sorted to the producer's satisfaction before it gets to a mixer. But then again, a yeah. lot of times, a lot of times, we're talking about not really a hands-on producer as well. Mm. But then, yeah. is that is the mixer then worthy of sort of being credited as a co-producer? That's another topic as well, because if if you know you are sort of getting involved in uh, vocal comping, recording. Uh, editing that is sort of a production at least it's a, an engineering thing isn't it it's not really specific to 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 mixing yeah definitely I, I think um a lot of the bands as well if if they are going with that approach of we're going to try and do something ourselves that they are the only ones in the room they've not got a produ- producer or an engineer with them so um as soon as they pass it over i suppose they are giving that person the the, the credit of you're our producer for this i know we've tracked it here but we, we, we want you to kind of put your producer hat on it for it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose, though, I tend to think of producing as, or I like to think of it, as more of being involved in the creative decisions than in just being the schoolmaster who says, by the way, that vocal's out of tune, you need to fix it. So, yeah. I mean, I think we're in a little bit of a grey area when you're talking about things that need to be fixed as opposed to artistic choices. If the mixer starts to say... I think that chorus should repeat at the end, or I think that chord change going into the middle eight could be better. Mm. Now you're really into producer um, territory. What, yeah. William, what about uh, sound choices then? How does that, is that still a, a sort of uh, engineer territory or is that definitely a well, producer? I certainly think that's producer territory, on, uh, except that, of course, you know, you have these partnerships in which producers 
develop a relationship with an engineer where they'll say, oh, I'll leave the drum sound to you. I don't worry about it. But ultimately, the producer is still responsible for that. And again, I, I like to think by the time it comes to the mix, those decisions should have been made so that I'm not going to second guess. I'm going to mix the record you sent me, not the record I think you should have sent me. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a nice distinction. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm yeah. just wondering, um, we're sort of skirting around something that, um, that I want to sort of say, right, let's actually talk about this now. I've just, um, is there an extent to which um, artists are um, relinquishing responsibility and, and passing on responsibility and deferring uh, um, responsibility for making sure that uh, the capture stage and tracking and, and what's being handed on to a mixer um, is uh, is where it should be just because the possibility exists to fix something later. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about just the fact that I, one of the things that's happened, I mean, it's so it's so old now, uh, it surprises me, but um, uh, Melodyne DNA and poly, being able to tune stuff within polyphonic material, yeah. I have, I don't think I've ever, ever used it. Oh, but the I fact have. that it exists... Yeah, I've used it. I have as well, yeah. yeah. But just the fact that you can do that, and if somebody does a great guitar take and, and they're... And they're <laughs> the G strings <laughs> flat. You oh can, well, more you know? more than that. I'll I'll give you a much more extreme example. I think I've actually mentioned this on the podcast before. But uh, somebody was making a record and had hired a very famous blues harmonica player to solo on it, and then was unhappy because the harmonica player played in kind of a blues scale, a lot of minor thirds and over these changes that were actually much more major underneath. And he wanted that flavor, but a lot of times the, the resultant chord vertically was just incorrect. And I was able to go in with Melodyne, even when he was playing double stopped or if you can you call it double stop on a harmonica i'm not sure he was playing multiple <laughs> notes at a time i was <laughs> able to go in and change the harmonic structure yeah. so that it was still his performance but was not clashing with the chords mm, that's incredible the, really. there was a thing crazy, that i sorry uh, there was a thing that uh, an opportunity for me to use that before it existed um something that drove me insane actually was i remember um i did a uh like a, like a sort of dancey remix in the nineties of this of this very kind of dirgy sort of uh, um, slow sort of drug rock um, uh, tune, and uh, I, I made it by uh, cutting stuff up off the multi track and, and loading the whole lot up on a mountain of uh, floppies into an Akai sampler, and then run the whole thing out of Cubase. It was very much like that, and um, and the, the guitarist played in an open D tuning. And very, he was very frustrating just because because of that and this major tuning. He he didn't actually know how to play a minor chord. Yeah, and he played bad clashing chords over things, and it bugged me in the original tune. <laughs> it bugged me even more when I was remixing the bloody thing. But the point mm -hmm. is, I couldn't tune that chord that should have been to be diatonically great, been a, been a minor chord with this horrible major chord over it. Of course. That ended up being pretty kind of uh, acceptable um, uh, during the 90s with people sampling chords in sort of like, you know, in rave music and stuff. But this really yeah. wasn't where I was at all. Anyway, I'd have loved Melodyne DNA to exist then because that thing haunts me still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. 
a bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Autoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. You know, you know that's the Sex Pistols story too, right? That that he could only play major bar chords, and so the the some of those descending passing chords that really should be minors, they're all majors on that first track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that thing. Um, I used to wonder about. I used to wonder about that with all those kind of sort of like. Um, uh, M1 piano kind of like dancey things with these major chords everywhere. Go, what are you doing? And it was when somebody said, oh, it's a sample. I went, oh, of course it is. <laughs> but anyway, there we are. Sorry. Anyway, should we go back to... Um, so, I mean, we were talking about this, uh, what is now possible. I mean, William, I, I remember being kind of surprised and, you know, uh, that uh, when we were talking about, quite a long time ago, actually, um, talking about various plugins and, and new sets were saying about using San Radix Pi on drums. And I just thought, really? You know, just because it was it was a surprise for, for partly that using Pi, not auto-align, actually. But just the fact that, you know, with the kind of material that you were doing and the sort of music that I associate you with, that you were using something like that. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, uh, was so far beyond the reach of mixes in the analogue days that it just wasn't even a thing. It was like polarity, that's it. There is nothing else that can be done. Um, there must be other things that have come onto our respective radars that can be fixed. And if you can do something, there's always an implied kind of suggestion that maybe you should. I don't know. Um, Gareth, what do you, what do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, um, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because obviously there's sometimes where someone will send me something and it, when I listen to it back and there's all these problems, I'm always thinking, well, the best case scenario is let's just get you in the studio and we'll redo it. Uh, obviously sometimes travel or budget things do get in the way so um it is lucky we have got things like auto align or i don't know even like rx um yeah just all those kind of tools where we can just go right let me let me see what i can do and sometimes i it's surprising to myself like i'll open something go this is never going to work and then i'll start it and go oh my god that's fixed it that is that is scary how far some of these tools have got um Especially like uh, like the RX stuff. Um, I've had I've had stuff in the past where there's all sorts of noise and interference and crazy. Oh, so you're talking about denoising then? Yeah, and any, just anything where just like someone sends something where there's problems with it. Where the ideal scenario would be let's let's re-record it, but we can't. Um, so all those kind of tools. Um, and this really to... is an area where we're seeing, I mean, a, a, it feels like nothing changes and then everything changes all of a sudden. And in terms of noise reduction, what we're seeing with the AI stuff is just, it's it's insultingly good. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not I've not tried. I've just seen the new, um, the Waves one with the, the kind of de-reverber. I've not tried it yet, but it looks, uh, that one looks pretty crazy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't used the, 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 uh, I, well, I guess it's their version of D Room, which I use. Clarity yeah. is, is the name of the way. Clarity. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I have, yeah. I have used the Clarity noise reduction, not the reverb direction. The noise mm. reduction is unbelievably oh, good. Oh, you're right, actually. No, because that's part of the same range, isn't it? I should. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not across. But I'm sure it's a Clarity something else, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably right. But, you know, aside from just fixing problems like RX or Clarity, there are also things. Uh, uh, comes to mind things like Vocaline or mm. transient design. Well, yeah. I was I mean, going to say are, the SPL. The, the, yeah, yeah. Those those are things that 
again, we didn't really have access to an analog world that I don't know if I'd call them fixing, but you can very much alter the nature of things in a mix that sometimes turns out to be better and sometimes it was better before you moved it. Well, one you know, of the, but ma- the main things with the transient designs, obviously the drum sounds, the kit, yeah. you can sort of make it uh, you know, shorter oh. and that can really, really have a huge impact on the rest of the the rest of the mix so um yeah or i, f- I find i use it quite often on room mics too that you can uh-huh. really extend or shorten the decay of a room yeah that way. yeah i love yeah, the yeah. sustain knob on that all the attention seems yeah. to go on the attack one and that's the one i don't know that's right no, the sustain <laughs> is uh very handy indeed um, um, this this reminds me of, um, I mean, we can do this stuff, but it doesn't mean that it, these things haven't been done in the past just in a much more difficult way. A um, couple of examples that come to mind is uh, I heard a story, um, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll leave in the abstract, I'll leave it anonymous, um, but uh, it was, um, uh, there was a... There was a vocalist who uh, who uh, apparently was kind of like how should I put it? Uh, at least I say people 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 were a bit scared of this vocalist, shall we say? <laughs> um, and uh, there were some concerns around the pitch on a, on a performance, and uh, and there was uh, an engineer who who basically stayed up all night with uh, loading into a sampler and and rocking a pitch wheel to mm. kind of pull stuff in and everything. And then and anyway, and this great job. And then uh, and then the following day, the artist came in to to, to listen back to uh, what had been done the day before and and said oh what was anyone worried about thank and uh, and yeah there was, there was a very funny quote <laughs> yeah. to do with that but that'll probably identify the story too much but the other one of course and i've never I've, i mean i know this used to happen but I, actually I, i've never really dug into exactly um uh, how it happened was was using ams delays to uh, to move stuff uh, to to nudge the timing of um sure of, of stuff i mean what, have you ever done that yeah, uh, well, both ways. I mean, using it as a sampler and flying things in later, but also, sure. I mean, a lot of people have played around with, for example, delaying room mics on drums very slightly to to get them. Basically, you're trying to alter the phase relationship without a phase altering tool mm-hmm. by by using delay to do it. And yeah, d- doing doing auto line the really expensive way because uh, things. Are, yeah. Well, certainly when they were released, <laughs> they were they were they were extremely expensive, and uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, I mean, mix issues are likely to be more acute if you weren't involved at the uh, recording or the production stage. Um, so, you know, would you have any advice for, for producers or artists that are sending a track for, for mixing and um, h- how would they know whether it's ready if they don't necessarily have the sort of ear for, uh, you know, the mixing ear that uh, we have? Uh, I, I would probably say it depends on who who you're giving the advice to if you're giving it to a producer who who's hoping to pass on the, the mix to someone else uh it's similar to what was said before if if they were to open the session and they would be happy to mix it or even if they've done a rough mix and they think that's as far as i can get it then that would be a great place to then send that on to a mix engineer whereas uh maybe a band or an artist that's demoed something themselves and recorded it themselves and then they're thinking we really need I've no mix kind of knowledge at all. I need someone to to look at this for me. I suppose they've just got to go through, make sure everything's uh, recorded well, no clipping, make sure all the files are neatly organised. And then that might be the extent of where they can get it to. Um, They might not have the knowledge to do things like vocal tuning, uh, but as long as they they can get the files organised and they're not sending you in an absolute mess, Mm -hmm, then mm. I I suppose that would be good for, for those kind of projects. Yeah. 
Have you ever had uh, listened to a rough mix, for example, and then received the tracks and then realised, oh my goodness, yeah, there's definitely stuff missing? Yeah, definitely. I, I do get it all the time. Um, it's normally um, the one I get, for some reason I get this quite a lot and I don't know if it's uh, a common thing for anyone else. I always seem to get uh, one file labelled overhead left, so they clearly did do a right, like a stereo overhead, but then there's always one missing. And I don't right. know why. <laughs> it's, it, one will always say left or right, so they clearly did do a stereo. Um, luckily, most of the time they f- they find it and they can send it over. But I have had to do <laughs> some weird kind of uh, stereo imaging on on some stuff before to try and create a, a stereo overhead with a with one. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, my pet peeve is uh, tracks that aren't uh, labelled correctly, which happens a lot. So you've got like uh, audio. 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think none of us likes the guessing game. No. No. Definitely not. Don't. I hate it when you see on the multi track files that come through, if you see the word take, as mm-hmm. in they've sent take one, two, three, four, and then mm. like, oh no, here we go. Because, like, <laughs> how would you know? Like, as I said, you get at that point, then you're, you're going into. You're, you're becoming the arranger, not just the producer or the mixer or whatever. You're you're the, the fixer. <laughs> the Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can. Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN-equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. I think my pet peeve is uh, stereo. Um, I'm reluctant to use the word stems, but the people who are sending them are probably <laughs> yeah. calling them stems. But um, mm, just tracks. stereo stereo tracks of mono information. Yeah, mm. I, that re- really annoys me. And it's it was it's probably that is one of the things that made me really miss the. Like up to Pro Tools 11, uh, Pro Tools used to come with a phase with a stock phase meter plugin, which I used to use all the time for stuff like that. Of just kind of going, is this as mono as I think it is? You know, in this kind of you, you know, know, there is there is an app. You know, I think it's called Stereo Monoizer. There is, I know yeah, about this, it's, which is really brilliant for that. I mean, it just looks at all those tracks and goes, nope, this one's really mono, mm. and you you know. And then of course there's a there's a Soundflow app that takes your stereo tracks, splits them into mono and deletes one so that you don't have to go through hat. This is yet more Soundflow that, yeah. stuff that is going, look, I just yeah. need that spare bit of time that I, I, yeah, I never it ever takes have. A bit, it does take a bit of time, yeah. but it's so great. Mm. No, that's, that's, like I just, I just made a Soundflow button on my stream deck that uh, you, I select all a bunch of tracks and one button will move every plugin down if it needs to to free up slot one and then and then oh, instead and then instantiate auto align two on slot one. Oh, I love it oh, I love that's it. so good yeah i really i really need to dive into sound flow i've only done the basics so far i've seen some people who are, are really like knowledgeable on it and some of the stuff you can do with that is crazy I've, you, I, mean, you, I, mm. I know a friend of mine he's got his um his, his deck rigged up to his amps, his heads and his combos, his cabs. Huh. And he can literally from from his like mixing position, swap out guitar heads and cabs um, at, the, at the flick of a button. It's just like, oh, I, need that's to, interesting. I need to get all that. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, you, I mean, you, uh, yeah, I've, I've very much been in the firing line of like, you're so dim. You don't know a thing like me <laughs> just because um, you, 
talking to Christian uh, on the on the on the launch of the new version. That was like wow. And then yeah. doing a podcast with Andrew Sheps is just kind of like oh you're so clever oh no and it's just kind of you know, the stuff people are doing. But there are only twenty four hours in a day, and yeah, yeah, exactly, it's one of those things. There's, I will say, uh, not to turn it into a Soundflow advert, but there, there <laughs> is, there is so much that's already packages you can buy and pre-programmed stuff that comes with it. It's that true, you, you know, yeah. I'm not, I don't have a head for computer language. Not like mm-hmm. Andrew or Chris Shaw, one of those people who's deep into the programming of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, but you can just string together other people's packages to do what you want it's and, true, and it's true. save yeah, yourself an enormous amount of time. I, th- I think I'm one of those difficult people who has to, I mean, if I get a synthesizer, I have to start from an initialized patch and make <laughs> it from the ground up. Yeah. A, you know there's a preset, I'm going, stop that. We don't <laughs> use words like that around here. But uh, yeah, that is cutting no, off I, I, I like funny. simplicity, but I also like to know what's going on. As well, yeah, so that's that's probably what I mean. Is yeah, like I like to be able to look under the. But mind you, you can check it out and then go. Oh no, I'm too too dim to understand that. <laughs> but, yeah, there we are. Um, exactly. Um, did we did we ask William uh, this question? Uh, well, I think I, I think I sort of touched on it earlier, which yeah. is uh, I, I think you should not be sending something to mix or think it's ready to mix until you're in love with it. Mm. One way or another, you could be fooling yourself, but but <laughs> but at least. Because, again, I think the purpose of a record is to communicate emotionally, to make you laugh, dance, cry, sing, whatever it is, not to be free of errors. You know, that, that, that fixing mistakes has really very little to do with it. It has to do with is it connecting to people or not. If the band in the room who has no idea what they're doing in terms of recording, if they're really excited about what they've got down on the recorder, then that's probably mm, ready to mix. Mm. You and know, that's another uh, thing, isn't it? Is you can't, n- no kind of software or engineering can fix a performance. It's either yeah. great or it isn't. You know. it's, it's either connecting to other humans or it's yeah. not. Yeah, exactly. and, and I did want to touch on one other thing that Garrett mentioned, I think it's very important, which is the rough mix, that you should have a good rough mix that you're, again, you're excited about. Yeah. And that I think that tells me an awful lot about where you were going and what you had in mind and, and, and what maybe doesn't feel right and what does. I think that, that including a good rough mix or a rough mix you're happy with is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've had stuff in like now currently because I, I, I'm still early on in my career and I have it where I'm mixing a project for a band and I get to a point of like, I know what I want to get it like, but my knowledge maybe isn't quite there yet. And I know maybe a mix and a certain mix of that would get it there. So I'm, I'm sometimes I'm at that point where I'm like, mm. I would love to send it to this person right now, but mm-hmm. we've not got the budget, unfortunately. What about, what about <laughs> references? Do you use a lot of those? Um... Yeah, I do. Definitely. Um, I have uh, metric AB on my, my projects like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. How about you, William? No, I hate them. (laughs) First first of all, I I don't want to make a record like somebody else's record. So there's there's really rarely something in it that I'm going to take from it. Uh If, on the other hand, somebody says, I love this vocal effect on this record, listen to that. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that, but I'm not going to A, B it to my mix. The only time I will use a reference is if I have to mix in a new place and I don't know the monitoring, in which case I will reference my own material that I know what it 
sounds like and ask myself, well, what would I, what would this monitor system make me want to do differently on this record? Yeah. And right. so yeah. it helps me understand it. That's what, that's kind of what my reference is like. Even though I'm in my room most of the time, my reference folder is more like uh, a reset button for me. So if I feel like yeah. I'm mixing for exactly. a while, I'll load sure. up my metric AB and go like, okay, like reset my low end kind of vision. And, and, and I have like a set four or five tracks where like one, I love the low end on it, one I love the top end. It's kind of just more of a reset my ears kind of thing. Yeah, that makes much more sense to me. But I, I do know people who say I'm going to put up the this, you know, the Taylor Swift record and A B it to my mix until my mix sounds the tonal, oh, right. <laughs> no. tonally balanced. Yeah, that's just I, I it's it's first of all, I think it's the wrong goal, but also I just don't think it ever works. I've no. always had an issue with this, which is I mean, I, it's not that I don't do it. I do do it because I'm uh, it's to calibrate yourself. You know, mm. and I mean, I get it. I mean, I know that one of my regular things is I don't mix bright enough, and that's yeah. probably because I think records are too bright. They've become <laughs> but if you want to make bright, it sound like a record, you've got to mix it brighter than mm -hmm. naturally mm -hmm. I seem to want to, for mm. example. That, yeah. But the thing is that doesn't work for me is that um, if you were using a using a reference properly, you wouldn't have the the released record because that's been mastered. Mm. Sure. You'd yeah. have the mix that went to the mastering engineer, and we don't have access to that. Yeah. And this is always a thing. I mean, okay, you can level match it, and that's important, <laughs> but it's not quite the same thing as being able to get to it before that stuff's happened. No, you obviously. It depends to... what it is and how, how yeah. much has happened to it. You but... have to bear that in mind, but I, I obviously I'm well aware that um as I listen a little bit too loudly sometimes I get really into the music. Um but I tend to not mix um with enough uh, top end so I'm constantly sort of listening thinking oh my goodness that needs to be a lot brighter so that yeah that, that's the way I kind of use references yes, this, this isn't scratching my eyes out so yeah. I don't know um, time's getting on but before we go I mean I just wanted to ask um, both both uh, Gareth and William um, so let's, let's talk about kind of like how mixing feels I mean kind of we, it can be very technical very analytical very uh, specific but that's not how people listen. So, mm. I mean, I, I don't know. William, uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. For me, I, I always have the feeling when I'm diving into a mix that no matter how well it was recorded and how brilliantly it's put together, I have this feeling, maybe it's my own insecurity, that this is just sucking and not not coming together. And why did they call me? Why did they hire me? Nobody's going to like this. I'm never going to work in this business again. And then, and then after a while, things start to make sense and you figure out the puzzle a little bit mm. and it starts to feel like, okay, I can see where this is going to go. And it's not until I reach the stage one hopes, where it ceases to be the process and starts to be me listening to a record that yeah. is exciting and is doing its yeah. job and I'm bouncing my head and really enjoying the record, that's when it starts to feel close to the finish line. But it's always that process for me of this is terrible, okay, maybe not so terrible. So ah, there it is. A real roller yeah. coaster of a, <laughs> yeah. of a ride. Yeah. What about you, Gareth? Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty similar thing. I mean, I think when I first open a mix... Um, I feel like the first kind of initial stage is quite autopilot. You're very aware of what you're doing. You're, you're mm. opening things up and it's quite mm. technical. And then subconsciously you do flip and then all of a sudden you do realise that you're, you're kind of in it now, uh, mm. whether you notice your legs going or something's happening and then yep. everything becomes impulse from that 
that mm-hmm. point i feel like and you're in the so, zone yeah t- you, sometimes you like look up and go oh my god where's 45 minutes gone or whatever mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. you're just really in it and if someone said can you recreate that mix you'd be like i don't know what i did i have yeah. no idea what i've just yeah, done yeah. for the last half an hour it was all um it was all impulsive um i love that stage that's the, the, the my favorite stage of mixing do you do you ever dance do you do you, do you ever catch yourself sort <laughs> of dancing in the middle of a, a middle of a mix uh, I think if you're not getting into it at some point, then uh, you probably need to take a break and get back to it. Because yeah. um, if you're not feeling it, then 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 something's not quite right. Yeah, absolutely. No, right. I, I yeah. like those examples. Which is one great thing, if there is a great thing about us working in DAWs these days, is you can put it aside and come back to yeah. it yeah. at least at least feel like you're going to be in the same place again, something we didn't mm-hmm. used to be able to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you very much both. I think it's time for us to move to Find of the Week. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, Reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Uh, so, Julian, what have you uh, got this week? Well, me already. Um, okay. Yeah, why not? I've got a boring technical <laughs> one, but actually, I want to briefly divert to uh, um, last weekend was Glastonbury. Oh, like, yes. Like, yes. like a lot of people in the UK, I, I, I watched at Elton least some John. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was really surprised by the most impressive thing that I saw just because uh, there was stuff I expected to like, and I won't go through all of the, yes, this was great, that was great. Um, but um, if anyone saw Jacob Collier... Oh, he's incredible, isn't he? He is incredible, but I don't generally like Jacob Collier. It, he's too much. <laughs> he's mm. just too... I mean, he's incredible. What whirlwind of talent that I can't even yeah. comprehend. But it's too much. It's just like this like wall of ideas that's just totally disorientating. I think what I what I saw, because it was brilliant, if you haven't checked it out on iPlayer, if you've got access to that or something, check it out. It was so good. Um, is just um, stuff like that needs to happen live. And I think he's somebody who ex- excels live and something really important is lost when, when you record it. Um, it's a little bit like I mean I live in I live in Cornwall and uh, most famous Cornish musical export is is Fisherman's Friends doing their you know harmony shanty singing, which <laughs> I I never ever want to hear that on record I really don't <laughs> it's like oh aren't they in tune I'm thinking well it's on uh-huh. record you've got no idea whether they're in tune you know but here's something like that live actually it's quite nice mm, so yeah. you know what I mean so that was great yeah. but my boring one is um, uh, I'm constantly constantly up against the uh, um, the capacity of my uh, internal hard drive on my mac mm. and if you haven't tried clean my mac do if for no other reason because of space lens which is amazing because it just builds a map and you can go through and it represents really really visually what's taking up all the space on your machine i found so much stuff that i could get rid of including my mail client has like a drafts folder which is kind of like Gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs, and it's oh, wow. just like wow. it's like what the hell? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I'm I'm talking like disablingly large <laughs> amounts of data taken up. So yeah, Space Lens clean clean my Mac is absolutely brilliant. So nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. good one. Um, so William, what have you uh, found this week? Yeah, mine is a guitar pedal, which is actually um, an amp 
simulator. It's the Dr. Robert pedal from Acclaim Guitars. They make they might pronounce it Acclaim, in which case their spelling is horrific. But <laughs> I, um, I'm going to assume, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume it's Acclaim. Yeah. Um, and it. Um, after their sort of famous run of valve amplifiers, Vox, when there was still JMI, uh-huh. had, a, had a brief run of, I think, the first hybrid guitar amplifiers. And unlike most hybrids, these had a solid state front end and a valve power. That's end. like Music Man amps. That's what they yeah, do as they, well. Yeah, they had a brief run as, mm-hmm. that, as well, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and um, they were not hugely <laughs> successful and there were not a lot of them around, but... The Beatles used them in the Revolver into Sergeant Pepper era. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And they made them in different wattages. They were the UL7 series, so the 710 was a 10 watt, the 730 was a 30 watt, and there's a 7120, which was 120 watts naturally. So this is a sort of recreation or, or homage to the UL730 Sergeant Peppery okay. era of, of guitar tone, and it does just a pretty amazing job. Aside from the amplifier modeling, it has, those amps had, I'm getting a little into the weeds, but those amps had a thing called MRB, mid-range boost, where Uh it had a three or four position click stop mid bump. Very famously in the, in the solo of Good Morning, I'm sorry, of uh, Fixing a Hole, you can hear that very sort of, it sounds almost like a cocked wah sort of sound that those amps would create. Or at the end of Birthday on the Beatles record, you can hear Mal Evans clicking between the stops and it, and you hear an organ kind of going as he clicks through them. Anyway, this recreates that sort of nasal cocked wah guitar sound. And it's just it's just a very unusual guitar tone does harken back to that era. Other people use them as well, but it, it is just a very interesting pedal, and it, it creates a kind of a guitar amp sound that is not readily available. So, have you tried the original? Would you be able to compare? Yes, this? Oh, uh, have, I've yeah. I've not used the seven thirty, but I have used seven one twenty quite a lot. Um, I can't say it's my favorite amp, but it does have a very distinctive sound. Uh, and those amplifiers, because they made so few of them, and most of them were tossed on the heap. Um, they are unbelievably pricey if you can find one. I mean, you know, they ten thousand pound wow. kind of yeah. range wow. to, yeah, to find. Yeah. So, so for a four hundred dollar ish pedal, I'd say mm. this is a bargain. Mm. With some very revolverish artwork on the on the front. Yes, front, drawn it? by Klaus Vorman, who also drew the cover of Revolver. Oh, well, fantastic! Wow. Yeah, it looks good. Very good. Um, yeah. So, Gareth, what have you got for us? Uh, well, mine was kind of staying on the topic of uh, kind of fixing it in the mix, which was um, I went down the rabbit hole a little bit on YouTube as far as finding um, snare bleed, like hi-hat bleed tricks to try and okay. get rid of, because uh, I was trying to, I had a project where it was just driving me up the wall. And I came across, uh, there's a, a video from Bo Bichel, who's a producer and mixer from America, and he's come up with this snare bleed trick using stock Pro Tools plugins, the literally like the the EQ three, the 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 absolute stock plugins, um, of duplicating the track, and then I'm going to explain this really badly because I I kind of do it on autopilot now. But um, duplicate, you get the snare sound you want, mm-hmm. ignoring the bleed, put as much top end in as you want, ignoring that all oh, that nasty bleed is coming in, uh-huh. and then you duplicate the track, you load a stock compressor, you put it on its fastest attack, fastest release, uh. 
put it to like 100 to 1. So it's almost like a limiter. Uh, well, it is a limiter. And then you set that uh, so it's catching every snare hit. Then you load another EQ. You high pass up to where you kind of hear all the nasty bleed, flip the phase, and then you blend that track back in. Uh, and it's unbelievable. It's yeah. one of the most natural snare gates I've ever heard. It doesn't get that horrible psh, psh kind of noise when the gate's coming in and out. Um, it's unbelievable. I don't know if, if you get a chance to go on YouTube and, uh, and have a look. That's really interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to that in yeah, the podcast. Perfect. It's unbelievable, yeah. It's really, really good. It's, uh, it's saved me this week. See, and I'll bet you you could make a sound flow button that did all oh, that Oh, yeah, in I one, bet you could, definitely. I bet yeah. he has, because I know he definitely delves into the sound flow world. <laughs> he probably has done that now. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I'm Ashir, expecting what about a, I, w I want my check from Christian this week. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ashir, what about you? What's yours? Yeah, well, mine's sort of uh, simplicity kind of focused. So, um, audio movers, um, I imagine most of most of us know what, what that is, but um, mm -hmm. I'll explain anyway. Uh is collaborating with Avid Pro Tools, um, uh, basically Listen To, is a plugin which uh, is used for working remotely with clients, um, other other musicians. I tend to do that quite a lot. Uh, and basically it allows you to share uncompressed, high-quality audio from your DAW uh, in real time directly to clients um, by generating a link. Um, and so there's no need to bounce the track. You can just listen uh, they open the link in their DAW or there's an app as well. Um, and yeah, and you can just sort of collaborate in real time with uh, people. Um, and so it's available for all DAWs, um, but they have a special offer for Pro Tools users, um, which I believe it's um, obviously the details are on the website. The details are on Production Expert as well, because I wrote it. So, uh, yeah, they are. absolutely. So, yes, um, maybe a, we should link to Production Expert. I can tell you that um, new subscriptions get it for free, and uh, existing subscribers, there's, a, there's an offer. Um, a percentage, 25%. Yeah. Thank you, yes. Yeah, uh, so no, that's that's a good one. We've also got uh, got um, uh, an interview that Luke did with um, the Gushmore Audio Movers um, uh, a little while ago. Um, excellent. Uh, that's all we've got to offer for this week. So um, thank you very much uh, to, to Ashir, but to Gareth and William particularly. Thank you thank very you much. Very Thanks much. for having me. Uh, no, no, wonderful. You. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast. <laughs>